and our brother Dave Vasilius is hanging in there, and God's encouraging him and Karen, and please continue to pray for Dave. And I know there's many others we could mention, but <clears throat> why don't we just go to the Lord in prayer at this time before we jump into Colossians. Precious Father in heaven, <clears throat> blessing and honor and glory belong to you. There is none like you, declaring the end from the beginning and saying, all my purpose will stand and I will accomplish all of my counsel. Lord, we worship before you today in a world that has a lot of chaos and evil in it, but we humbly bow before you as the king over all. And Lord, you have promised us that though evil will make great, deep, damaging marks in this world, you have promised us that you are coming soon and you are making all things new. And Lord, you will restore all that has been lost and broken for those who bank their hopes on you. Would you help us, Lord, today lift our eyes to focus on you and what you have for us and I do pray that you would help in these ongoing needs, Lord, those who are physically struggling with uh, cancers and broken bodies. Lord, we pray that you would sanctify those, those struggles to them. Bless even those struggles so that somehow it will work in their lives to to draw them closer to you and to find greater and deeper satisfaction in you, Lord. And then I pray that you'll bring them through these ailments in great ways so that you will be highly glorified in the way that you bring them through. And now, Lord, we just want to say, uh, we, we've, we've just sung it. We've said, speak, O Lord. And we just want to say it now, speak to us, Holy Spirit of God, through your word, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to start the book of Colossians, God willing, and I'll just start... <clears throat> I'm going to just kind of give an introduction today and talk about uh, some introductory ideas and concepts of the book, but I want to start by just reading with you the first two verses. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, and I'm reading from starting at verse 1. If you're using the Black Pew Bible, this is page 1168. 1168. <clears throat> so this is just Paul's introduction, and then I'm going to... Uh, just give some introduction to the book. So the word of God from Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you 
and peace from God our Father. And then right after that, he begins to thank God for them um, and thank God for all that he's done in the Colossians. So I just want to give a few uh, introductory things here. First of all, the author is, he identifies himself, the Apostle Paul. He calls himself an apostle of Christ Jesus. Apostle literally means one who is sent. And it, it's almost like Jesus has deputized Paul. You know, like I think of the old westerns where the sheriff has some, there's some bad guys coming into town and he needs some, some good strong men to be on his side. And so he deputizes some good men to help him fight the bad guys. <clears throat> well, uh, Jesus chose 12 disciples and called them to be apostles. Of course, Judas was the traitor. They replaced Judas with Matthias. And then Paul comes along. He says, as one who was born out of due time. But he was a specially sent apostle. apostle. To be an apostle, you had to see the risen Jesus personally. You had to encounter him. And remember Paul on the road to Damascus? He was going as a persecutor of Christ's church. He was like um, a terrorist, and he was imprisoning people, uh, giving his approval when Christians were stoned to death for blasphemy. He was trying to cause Christians to speak blasphemous words so he would have a case against him. And Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus around noon with a light, in shining light that was brighter than the noonday sun, and Paul fell down and said, who, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And Paul saw the risen Christ, and he was blinded by the, <clears throat> the sight. And then, um, but God took away that blindness a little later. But Jesus called Paul to be one of his deputies, his specially uh, granted authority apostle to go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So Paul was an apostle. He calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. And I think he's doing that at the entrance of this letter. He does that often, just to remind them of his authority, his Christ-given authority. It just isn't anybody writing to you. This is an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he says, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. It was no accident that Paul became an apostle. It was God's will that it happened that way. It was no accident that he wanted to visit this church in Colossae, even though he had not yet been there. And it was no accident he was writing from prison, probably his uh, imprisonment in Rome, somewhere around 60 to 62 A.D. This was also when Nero was emperor of Rome. Remember, Nero was infamous for his cruelty to Christians when he he killed them and persecuted them and mocked them. It's interesting that Paul doesn't even mention that in much of his writings. Um, also, a serious earthquake somewhere around 60 AD had devastated the region of Colossae. And um, also... An, um, so this was according to God's will. This, he was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And I just emphasize that to say God moves people and events according to his plan. God has a great plan. 
And it is no mistake that even you are here today. God orchestrates the events of our life. Acts chapter 17, when Paul was reasoning with the philosophers in Athens, he says, the Lord made from one man all nations on earth, and he appointed their their times and the boundaries of their habitation so that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, even though he's not far from each of us because in him we live and move and, and have our being. In other words, God's not far from us, but we don't see him. But God has set things up in the world such that we would seek him. And part of that setup is that God appoints when we're going to live and where we're going to live. He appoints our comings and goings. So it is no accident that Paul was an apostle of Jesus Christ. And then he says, and also Timothy, our brother, in verse 1, Timothy was Paul's young disciple in the Lord who ministered in the region of Ephesus during this time. Ephesus was 120 miles approximately east or west of Colossae. And Timothy was probably well known to the Colossian Christians as an exemplary young minister of Christ's church. Timothy was a fellow minister of the gospel in what is now, this is modern day Turkey, by the way. Which brings us to the the Colossians themselves. Who is Paul writing to? Who is his audience? Do you have a map by any chance? Boom. Thank you. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, our technical people. Um, you know, this map may not mean much to you, but if you can think of modern-day Turkey, it's kind of like a balloon that sticks out there with the Black Sea up to the north. This, see where Ephesus is over here? That's right on the coast, right near the coast. Paul spent almost three years there in the school of Tyrannus teaching every day about the great things of God, even though he never went to Colossae, probably, scholars think, Epaphras, who was from Colossae, probably during that three-year stint of Paul teaching in Ephesus, Epaphras probably heard the gospel, was converted to Christ, and went back home and started a church in Colossae. I don't know if you can see that, but that's, that's like that little trail there is 120 miles um, east of Ephesus is Colossae, and it goes up a river valley. You see that mountains on both sides? And then that's um, the Meander River Valley. If you ever wonder where the term meander comes from, there's the Meander River. It meanders. And uh, when you get over here by just north of Laodicea, it comes down to Laodicea and Colossae, that was the Lycus or the Lysus River Valley. So you see the mountains on both sides. And by the time you get to Colossae, you're kind of running out of the valley, aren't you? So there's mountains around Colossae. In modern-day Turkey, this is the town of, near the town of Hornaz. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. But it's at the base of Mount Cadmus. And if you saw pictures, you'd see mountains all around, around this region. The um, okay, you can take t- to take that down, Jim. Thanks. Um, I just think it's neat to see maps and to see where people lived. And the 
the archaeological site of ancient Colossae, it's like a big mound. It hasn't been excavated as of so far. There's an Australian group that's trying to excavate that. They found little traces of things around ancient Colossae, but the, the site itself, what the archaeologists call a tell, has not been excavated, which makes me uh, really excited to see if they would do that and what they might find. <clears throat> but... Um, He's, he's writing to these people who lived in Colossae. <clears throat> and he calls these believers saints. Look, look at verse 2. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. <clears throat> Paul calls these believers saints. The word saints is used in the New Testament over and over to talk about Christians, believers. Um, I remember years ago, Susan Reynolds, who came here, said to me, Pastor, uh, I really appreciate your preaching. And, and by the way, I just want to say, I welcome these critiques because I'm certainly not perfect. And so you bring critiques to me and I, I would appreciate that if you feel like it's constru constructive criticism. But she said to me, you know, you often call us sinners. And I know we sin, but you know what the Bible calls us? Saints. It calls us saints. And she goes, maybe you should use the Bible term. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, you know what? I think you're onto something. That's good. And it is, ever since she said that many years ago, I've tried, uh, it sticks in my mind every time I, I read this. God wants his people to be known as saints, holy ones. It's not just St. Catherine or St. Christopher, the, the, like, like the Roman Catholic Church venerates certain people for extra special works of super erogation and, and miracles. The Bible calls every. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't buy into that. I mean, there's re, I, I'm a Protestant for, for good reasons, but I will just say this. The Bible calls all those who are linked to Jesus by faith saints. What a precious thing. Um, those who have been washed and made holy, set apart for God by the blood-shedding sacrifice of Christ that counts for us when we turn from our sins, and we turn to him, and like a child, say, Lord Jesus, save me. Like Peter was, was drowning in the waves, save me. And Jesus reached out and took him. If we will just humble ourselves, turn, turn from our path of selfish and sinful living that we're going on, and say to Jesus, take me, save me, put me on your path, he will. And uh, the Bible then calls you a saint, a holy one, because Christ's righteousness, his holiness, counts for you as he works in you by his spirit to make you practically holy more and more. So uh, whatever else you see yourself as, when, when you introduce yourself to somebody, say, uh, you know, my name is Drew Woods, I'm a white Anglo-Saxon, blah, 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 blah. You could say, hi, I'm a saint 
of Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ. I, I, am, I am set apart by God for God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's who I am at a deeper level than my, my ethnic background or anything else. I am one of Christ's bond men. Whatever else you see yourself as, if you're a Christian, you ought to see yourself fundamentally as a holy one in Christ Jesus. And Paul addresses them to the saints, and then he says, faithful, and to the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Now, we might ask ourselves, especially in this current culture, well, why doesn't he say brothers and sisters? And you notice there's a little footnote at the bottom that says, or it could be brothers and sisters. And many times, just the, the term adelphoi, uh, Greek word for brothers, can, can, it can be broader. But why does Paul only greet the brothers uh, and not the sisters? Uh, well, I just want to say at certain times he specifically does point out godly women in his letters. Like even at the end of this letter in chapter 4 verse 15, he wants to send greetings to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. So there's a house church in Nympha's house and Paul sends special greetings to this woman. And Paul does mention faithful sisters at different times, but I think here the reason he says to the faithful brothers for a couple of reasons. Number one, they it is the men that God has called to lead his church. Now I know that's not a very popular um, view in today's world, but God calls men to lead their families and to lead the church. That doesn't mean that women cannot help. God gave us women to help us do our jobs. But, and both men and women are of equal value in God's eyes, okay? But God calls men to lead his church and to lead their family units. And um, I just want to say, I believe that's one of the reasons Paul is addressing them. And then as the leaders in the church, he's, he means it to go to all the church. Um, so when I say that, I, I just want to say God has laid this mantle of leadership on men. It's not a mantle of a self-serving position holding where men go around puffing out their chest and lording it over others but rather it's a mantle of sacrificially laying down your life type of leadership for the good of Christ's body, the church. Um, this is not going to be a sermon on male leadership, but I just want to say, brothers, Christ is calling us to lead our families and to lead our, his church and to be leaders in our community that's not bragging about a position. That means serving. But serving as leaders. May he help you and me to be faithful in that role. So notice he also says faithful brothers. Here he's renaming the saints as faithful ones. Paul does this at other places like Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. It's an indicator that God's people are to be faithful in their lives in this world. So, I already showed the map of Colossae. I mentioned that Nero was, was an um, emperor at this time. Colossae used to be a famous 
a famous city on a trade route, and it was famous for its special dyed wool. And um, I got to be honest, the sources I looked at, different ones said different things. It's either a dark red wool that was dyed or a deep purple probably somewhere in the middle, because this dye came from a purple flower that grows wildly in that area. And uh, it was famous for that special wool. The, the, that, that wool fabric was called Colossinus, named after the town of Colossae. Um, there was a devastating earthquake in the region there was an earthquake also in A.D. 17 and also one in the early 60s A.D. It was once a noteworthy city of some size. There was a big open amphitheater on one side of town um, and built on a hillside and also a sizable graveyard. But with the growing prominence of Laodicea a little further north, Colossae began to fade by the first century A.D., in its popularity. The believers in Colossae were probably in a house church. Maybe that's the one that met in Nympha's house. Maybe there was more than one church in Colossae. I don't know, but I imagine uh, at least the main one was the one that Paul speaks of in 415, the one that met at Nympha's house. So Paul gives a blessing. I I know this sounds so... Like, why are we spending time on this? But I don't want to breeze over the words of God's word. So look at the blessing he gives. This is very familiar. He mentions this in many of his other letters. He says, To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. A blessing is is when a person's actually... speaking to his hearer, but he's doing it in the form of a prayer. He's asking God for something for that person. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. The great uh, Aaronic blessing that may the Lord um, lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. It was spoken to the congregation, but it was in the form of a prayer, like may God do this for you. And that's what a blessing is, and that's what Paul's doing here when he says grace and peace to you from God our Father. Um, Here Paul is asking that God the Father would send the Colossians grace, and that is to help. It's help that is needed in life to live a life pleasing to God. Grace is not just we are saved by God's grace. We're not saved by our own works and our own efforts, our own performance. We are saved by God's grace, his free gift of love to us in Jesus Christ. But grace is also something God gives his children to empower them. It means to help. God gives help uh, to empower us to live holy lives pleasing to God. And then he says, may God give you peace from God our Father. Peace is that calm of the soul, regardless of outward circumstances, that calm in the soul that God gives to anchor his children and to steady them in the ups and downs of life, that know that we know that God's got me, God's got this. 
I saw a sign, looked like an election sign in somebody's yard the other day, and it said, God's got this. <laughs> I like that. Um, that doesn't mean we do nothing. But oh, let's not minimize what God does and what he has promised to do. So these are the introductory thoughts to the book that, that are mentioned in the first two verses. The over, I just want to talk in the rest of our time about the overarching theme. What's the theme of Paul's letter to the Colossians? I would say his theme is the supreme excellence of Jesus Christ. What did I say? In the, the supreme excellency of Christ. Yeah, that's what I think the theme is. And I don't think... I mean, I mean, we have some of the richest theological statements about Jesus anywhere in the whole Bible in these li this little short letter about Jesus Christ. And I don't think Paul is just listing these things like, hey, here's some trivia about Jesus. Paul is really, has, he has a pastoral concern for these people. He's never seen them face to face. He's never been to, to Laodicea and seen those folks face to face yet. He wants this letter to be read at Laodicea, and he says, and, and I want you to read the letter I sent to them. So he must have sent a letter to Laodicea, too, from prison. But Paul has a special burden for these people he's never seen face to face because probably Epaphras has come, maybe Epaphras was in prison with him. Paul's writing this from prison, but Epaphras has come and told him about what's going on back home. And people are getting... Another teaching in Colossae, and it, it had something to do with worshiping angels, keeping feast days, some sort of a mix between Judaism and paganism. And Epaphras must have conveyed that to Paul because that's what fuels Paul's concern for these people. He goes, I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for all who have not seen me face to face, that's how he starts verse uh, chapter 2. So his, his passion is very strong to push, to, to point these people back to Christ because something is happening that is distracting them from Christ. Uh, so this is not merely a reiteration of the facts about Christ's deity and his supremacy, but rather it's a passionate appeal to the Colossians that they recognized Christ's supreme excellency and to joyfully revel in Christ and, to, and being joined to him by faith. Paul is writing to stir up the affections of the Colossian believers toward Christ so that they might treasure him and to live confidently for him and with him in this world. If you just look over into chapter 2 briefly, after he talks about the excellency of Christ down in verse 16 of chapter 2. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God." So you can see that he really wants these people not to get bored with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if this feels relevant to you, but it feels really relevant to me today. There are many satanic forces at work in our culture today to draw us away from Christ. Even even voices that will say, oh, yeah, Christ, yeah, you got Christ, that's good, but maybe get us, let's keep the feast days, or let's, 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 let's treat our body with severe discipline, and let's fast for long periods of time, And there's nothing wrong with fasting, right? Those things are all good. But be careful. Be careful that in these things that are being spoken to you, you are not drawn away from Christ. I see see, uh, videos advertised like, watch this, and Michael the archangel will chase away all the bad things uh, from your life. Michael the archangel. You know what Michael the archangel would say if he could say something to you? Worship Christ. Oh, there are angels. There are, thank God there are angels. But we don't ever pray to them. Because when John fell on his face before an angel that told him in the book of Revelation all these things that were coming, the angel said, get up! Don't do that! Worship God! Don't make much of me, make much of Christ. That's my job too. We're in this together, John. Beware. Beware of venerating angels and keeping certain days. Paul said in Romans 14, one man esteems one day above the rest, another man esteems every day alike. Let each one do what he is convinced in his own mind. One man keeps a day for the Lord. The other man does not keep the day, and he does it for the Lord. The Colossians were getting into uh, abstaining from certain foods. You know, just be, be careful. I... I think there is a tendency for some to want to go back to Judaism. If you want to worship the Lord on Saturday because you think that's a Sabbath day to the Lord, okay, worship the Lord on Saturday. But be careful. Be careful. We are made right and accepted freely by God Almighty Through Jesus Christ alone. It is through Jesus Christ alone. You know what? Look, 
Look at what Paul says in, in chapter 2. Just start at verse 1 with me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Do you see that? That's like a neon sign saying, there is so much in Christ, you don't even know all that is in Christ. But if you are in Christ, treasure Him. Treasure Him. If, and I just want to say, let's, let's make use of Colossians this fall to run to Christ, to revel in Christ, to seek refuge in Christ. You know what I love about the fall? It is beautiful. <laughs> we were driving yesterday, and, and we're driving on 94, and just rain out of nowhere. <laughs> Turn the wipers on high speed and slow down, put a cushion between me and the next guy, and then boom! The rain's gone, blue sky. And a rainbow, right, a rainbow. Yeah, yeah, we saw the rainbow. <laughs> Why is it that God designed us to wake up every day seeing this? Every day. You cannot escape the beauty. Even if you lock yourself in a room, your heart still beats regularly, boom, boom, boom. What's up with that? There is beauty jammed all around us that comes from our Creator. And I say, let's use Colossians in tandem with the fall, and let's use it as a, as a season in our life to draw near to Christ, to revel in Christ. He didn't have to die for you. He said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own. And I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it up again. I have received this from my Father. You want a hero to follow? Follow Jesus Christ. And then let's make use of this book, the book of Colossians, to ponder the awesome glories of Jesus Christ and to seek to make him our ever-increasing, ever-increasingly precious treasure. Let's try to make Christ our increasingly precious treasure. If you have all this world, but you have not Christ, you are lost, and you are destined to lose all forever. But if you are the poorest person in this world, maybe in Haiti, or Nagorno-Karabakh, and you have Christ, you got it all. You don't have it all yet, but you are made joint heirs with Christ. And you will have it all. The Apostle Paul talked like this. 
all things are yours. Whether life or death or Paul or Apollos. <laughs> That's a pretty expansive, exhaustive list he mentions there in 1 Corinthians. I think we could even throw in there cancer, heartache, broken relationships. All things are yours. You know why? Because somehow, somehow God is going to not just get you through those things. He's going to use those things to be a footstool for your feet. He's going to use those things for your good. If you have Christ, you have all. You may have nothing now, but you will in Christ inherit all things. You may be lowly now, but in Christ you will be exalted, honored, and vindicated before the whole world. You may suffer now, but in Christ and with Christ you will soon enter into the joy of your master. So I just appeal to you today to run to Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is... Pray. Pray. Go out on a fall day thinking of, thinking of the verse of the week, maybe. Thinking of a verse and praying. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Go out on one of these fall days and pray to him and say, Lord Jesus, I bless you and I thank you that you rose from the dead. You didn't stay dead. You began the cure. You began the new creation. And what I see around me is so beautiful and it's still the old creation. But you're making all things new and you're starting with me. Talk to him. Pour out your heart to him. Read his word. Let him pour out his heart to you through his word. When I say run to Christ, bank your hopes in Him. Ask Him to save your soul, forgive your sins, and make you new. And if you're a Christian here today and you say, I already did that, but I've screwed up so bad. I'll never forget a guy in Winona Lake, Indiana, many years ago, who I saw in a, a coin laundromat. And I was talking to him about Christ, and he said, I don't think there's any hope for me. I've screwed up too much. And I said, oh, there's hope. There's hope. If there's hope for me, there is hope for you. It doesn't matter how much you've screwed up. If you will come to him, turn from your screw-ups and turn to him and say, I'm a derelict. <laughs> but if you take derelicts, would you take me? And you know what he does? He takes derelicts and makes them kings and queens in his kingdom. Don't worship angels. Beware of influences that will take you away from Christ. And it, it doesn't, it's not just religious influences. Of course, there's all kinds of cultural influences take us away from Christ, but hold on to Christ, cling to Christ, treasure Christ. I read a book, I'm reading a book um, where um, uh, uh, Father Kolakovich, I've mentioned him from that book, Live Not By Lies. Well, he wrote a book under a pseudonym, Father George, about his experiences going through uh, Eastern Europe and into communist Russia and 
trying to share Christ with people. And uh, he mentioned one youth pastor in one of those countries that would gather secretly with young people and they would say this little uh, acclamation, which is a memorial acclamation, which by the way, I just found out this has been an ancient acclamation for the church for centuries. God help us uh, to, to get more tied into church history in, in many ways, but every time before they would part, this youth leader would have his teens say with him, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. I'd just like to say that with you. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. One more time. Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. That's the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I delivered to you, first of all, what I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose on the third day. And he appeared to all these people, five, at one time more than 500 at one time, most of whom are still alive. And he is coming again. Treasure Jesus Christ. If you don't know how to do that, just ask him. Jesus, show me how to treasure you. Certainly it means trust you, love you, follow your commands, walk with you. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for the book of Colossians. I thank you for this letter from jail written from Paul so many years ago. Lord, I thank you for his passion that these people not lose their grip on Jesus Christ. And Lord, I, I, I just pray that for us. I pray that we would treasure Christ, Lord, that we wouldn't grow bored thinking, well, I've, I think I pretty much got him figured out and I, I, and I know all that there is to know. I pray that we would plunder your word for all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us when we were unlovely. Thank you for going to the cross to die for us, not when we were your friends, but when we were your enemies. By our sins, in a thousand ways, we have belittled you. And by your blood-shedding, once-for-all sacrifice, you have more than satisfied the justice of God for sinners like me, for sinners like us. We thank you, we give you praise this morning for your great, great love for us. Oh, help us to love you back with our lives. Not just our words, but with our lives, Lord. Help our lives to just say, Jesus, I love you. You are precious. Lord, you know every one of us, and I just pray that you'll have your way with us. Help us to follow where you lead. In Jesus' name we pray.